Welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast where we'll uncover the timeless investment principles so you can escape the rat race, earn passive income and create lasting wealth. I'm Pete Wargent, investor and financial coach and I'm joined by Stephen Moriarty, private investor and the co-author of our new book, Low Rates High Returns. In each episode of this podcast, we talk about the crucial concepts around managing your own money, how to invest, when to invest and the key lessons we've learned along the way about generating passive income. The things we discuss in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice, and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Enjoy the show. G'day, welcome to the Low Rates High Returns podcast with me, Pete Wargent. I'm here in the studio for the first time in what feels like about a thousand years, but probably, I guess, the first time in a year or 15 months or something. Two with, years, I think. It's two years. It is. It's really, I've certainly got more grey hairs on the video there. So, uh, And I'm here with Stephen Moriarty, who you can hear uh, chuntering away. Chuntering away in the background. Good, Pete. Good. How are you? Good I'm, to be back in the studio and sort of yakking with people face to face without a mask and... All the private Triple vaccinated, yeah. So let's um let's do a little bit of a recap because um an awful lot has happened. This is a mini series on investment strategies, but before we rip into the first of the strategies we're going to review, let's talk a little bit about what's happened over the past couple of years. So COVID kicked in, and then we got a big market downturn. So I guess the first quarter of 2020. Yep. And then there was a big rebound after this, particularly after the vaccines came. Uh, to the rescue. Um, so what have you been doing in markets over the past couple of years, Steve? Probably not much different. There's always lots of disagreement between lots of people about valuation and macro valuation, particularly amongst value investors. And I sort of class myself as a value investor, but not in a, a traditional sense. And we're going to talk a bit later about a contrarian strategy, but mainly just sitting tight more recently, and with COVID, I moved into oil. When oil's selling at, you know, $0 a barrel, that's probably a good opportunity to make some money. And you and I talked about this, Pete, in our intensive that we had last year, where the thesis, this is my thesis, is the world is moving to deglobalize, and that's going to have a impact on the investment markets going forward. And so the last 30 years is no longer that good a guide that it used to be. Um, and that's been heightened, of course, now with the, the conflict in Russia and Ukraine. So mainly hard commodities, you know, which I've I got to say I'm not that good at, but I have a little bit of a specialty in precious metals um, and they've been doing quite well. But other than that, not not a great deal in terms of you know, long-term strategy and stuff because, again, the the, the CAPE ratio is still really high in America. Um, I think there's lots of turmoil about and has been, even with COVID. So, you know, all those things we've talked about, NFTs, um, you know, SPACs and all that sort of stuff. So it's still a pretty turbulent sort of world. And in that world, it makes it pretty hard to be systematic in terms of making any money. Yes. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, similar to yourself, I mainly your behest actually got into the energy play, and um, that's been a, a profitable uh, investment. Obviously, um, a little bit in oil, 
and had a bit of fun with the UK FTSE, which originally got absolutely marmalised and has since come mm -hmm. surging back. Um, but overall, not not a massive allocation to the stock market. Bought a couple of properties through the pandemic, uh, one in England. Uh, but yes, yeah, stocks hasn't hasn't been a, a big part of my allocation by any means over the past couple of years. Hopefully better opportunities ahead. Mm. Um, so in this mini-series, we're going to review a few of the uh, popular investment strategies uh, from over the years and over the decades and take a look at which of them might be worth looking at today, um, how they worked historically, uh, the pros and the cons. So let's kick off today with, um, as you mentioned, contrarian investment strategies, which was originally put into a book by David Drayman many years ago now. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, the too long didn't read is basically by stocks with a low PE. Of course, there's a lot more to the book than just that. But mm. as the name implies, you're basically looking at stocks with a low PE, low price to book ratio, that kind of thing. So give us a, a bit of a rundown of the strategy, because I guess it's had a bit of a mixed record over the past couple of decades for various reasons, as yeah. we'll go into. Yeah, it, um, basically, Draymond wrote this, I think it was about 20 years ago. Um, I, I must admit, when I was um, rereading it and reviewing it a little while ago for the podcast, it, it struck me about how aligned it is in some ways to our eight principles. Generally, what, what Draymond said was this, buy stocks that have a low PE, low, low price to book, low price to sales, low price to cash flow. So he's basically saying, go into an industry and find the best company with the lowest, you know, book value, sales, cash flow, that sort of thing. Usually that happens like what we did a couple of years ago in oil. Oil fell. Basically, we went in and said, right, let's look at the best oil companies or the big oil companies. They pay great dividends. They're going to survive. The oil price will rise and we'll profit from it. And that's exactly what Draymond basically said. There really isn't much more to it than that. And what the contrarian part that Draymond talks about is simply, and again, what we talk about in our courses is saying most of the expert advice is no good. You know, they predict and it doesn't work properly. So therefore, you safely sort of need to ignore that. And what you want to just focus on, and again, is this this systematic approach of saying, it's like a filter, I suppose, which is, you know, look at the low PEs, look at those stocks and buy those. And then he spends a fair bit of time, uh, what do they call it, backtesting it and sort of saying, you know, this is where it's been successful. So it's he's got a touch of uh, Ben Graham, early Ben Graham <laughs> stuff, which was, you know, buy cheap stocks, hold them. Draymond's the same as in hold them and then sell them, right? So he's not a buy and hold. I'll buy and he's not a Buffett guy. He's a, you know, you turn over these stocks and that's, you know, that's the core of the strategy, which is buy them cheap, sell them high and just continue to do the same process over and over again. Yeah, which kind of makes intuitive sense. So I guess um, I think in a subsequent iteration of the book, um, he talks about the psychological biases yeah. that stop you buying stocks when they're cheap because everybody else is getting out and how it is actually quite difficult to be contrarian. Actually, before we um, come on and, and talk about um, some of the results from the sort of contrarian investment strategies when you backtest it, mm. I guess there is, um, there's a couple of things about being contrarian. Firstly, it's actually quite hard to Bloody do. Bloody <laughs> Yeah, because you, 
as I think we've talked about on one of these episodes before, is actually quite tiring or tiresome to be against the crowd the whole time yeah. and have everybody else saying one thing and you saying, no, no, um, I'm looking at things a different way. So that's one thing about being contrarian. I think the other thing is that quite often people believe they are contrarian when, when they're actually not. You know, I think I referenced once before um, when you go into the old uh, hot copper chat forums and every other investor on there is, you know, I'm a contrarian investor, investment style, contrarian, yeah, you yeah. know. And almost by definition, they can't all be contrarian. So I yeah. think sometimes people actually, they think they are contrarian when they're actually more like everybody else than they think they are. It, on that point, the contrarian stuff is, like you say, it's really hard. And it's really hard because, and I was just talking about this yesterday, the issue with contrarianism, humans are social animals and we like hanging around in crowds, even if it's people, you know, PLUs, people like us. So it's really hard. And Seth Klarman had a, had, had a saying about being contrarian and said, you know, generally, when you think about it, you've got to actually be a little arrogant because what you're actually saying is this stock is a dollar. That's actually not right. It's worth two bucks. When everyone else is going, no, mate, it's worth a dollar. Now, it, ta- it does take a certain level of arrogance to say, you guys are all wrong and I'm right. Being natural, naturally social it's, it's a lot easier to just run with the crowd, which is what a lot of trend-following stuff does and is successful, but it's also psychologically hard because it you always, and I still do this, after 25 years, I'm still saying to myself, well, shit, what if I'm actually, what if those guys are actually right? And what you know is, as a contrarian investor, there will be times when you'll be wrong, right? And so you you'll go against the crowd you'll be wrong. And automatically what you tend to do is doubt yourself. And that's why these sort of systematic strategies are really important because you don't have to work on your process. All you have to work on in a sense is your psychology. And if you're able to continue to say, I know the process works. I know it works over time. I just need to deal with my emotional state. That at least helps you, you know, stick to the plan than it does sort of fooling around with your process. And a a lot of the time, when you have a failure, lots of people will say, oh, well, you need to go and, you know, learn the lessons from that strategy and learn learn what you did wrong, when a lot of it can be like, you can't win every time you pick stocks. So if if you're going to be right, let's say 70% of the time, well, 30% of the time, statistically, you're just going to be wrong. So does it mean you got something wrong? Well, maybe, but maybe it was just, you know, that's the probabilities and that's why they sort of work. It's just working through that logic to sort of try and calm yourself emotionally in terms of when things don't go the way they do. So so this makes, um, it kind of makes intuitive sense. You buy stuff when it's cheap, you sell it when it's expensive. So the theory basically goes you can beat uh, volatility and the prospect of inflation by uh, effectively making optimal choices. Buying cheap stocks should offer you some protection in a bear market. You should do better when the bull market starts roaring yep. again. And also, of course, um, as he says in the book, uh, dividends aren't just for widows and orphans. You know, it's actually yeah, yeah. pretty useful stuff for an investor. As um, oil stock investors are finding out right now, the dividends are very useful. I guess the thing is, though, when you look at this strategy, and you talked about the potential for being wrong, it would probably, I mean, I think Draymond talks about avoiding IPOs. So 
uh, SPACs and things like that, he would have yeah. been well out of those areas. Um, but you would be pre presumably avoiding things like the NASDAQ, you know, the market of the next hundred years. And over the particularly um, the past sort of 20 years or so, the NASDAQ, or well, since the since 2009, the, the NASDAQ has been on a, a tremendous bull market. So I suppose there's two ways of looking at this, isn't there? One is you could argue, well, the, the Draymond contrarian approach has done kind of just fine over 20 years. Yep. But I suppose the other um, argument might be, well, if these strategies have underperformed the S&P 500 for you know, 20 years, you know, it's, it's not a small chunk of your investment life. Yeah. Um, I suppose somebody might say, well, why bother? You know, why not just own the index? I guess every strategy will have a period where it underperforms. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, over 20 years, that's one hell of a long time. And people, I guess the devil's advocate argument would be, well, why, why even bother with such an approach? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's what we point to. And it's the reason why we talk about using country indexes, contrarian wise in our in our various world strategies. And the reason is this. We know broadly that the markets cycle up and down and you have secular bull markets and secular bear markets and secular just meaning long term. Right. So we had a long term market from 82 to 2000. Everybody made lots of money. Didn't matter what you really bought. You probably did all right. You didn't need to outperform the market because the market was, you know, making you basically about 15 percent compound per year. The difficulty with those strategies, and, and this is our, our long-term criticism of buy and hold, is you get, you get these secular bear markets that go for long periods of time, and that's what kills your returns. And so if you have a look at, you know, like the FTSE or the NASDAQ from 2000, it hasn't done that well. And the benefit of these strategies is, is having this methodical process in bull and bear markets, the problem with the bear markets, or the problem, I shouldn't say the bear market, the, the problem is, and this is what Draymond talks about with experts, is this incessant idea that there's, you just keep buying stocks. And then he also talks about, again, the idea we talk about, which is this, this cherry picking dates, you know, and every advisor will say, oh, the returns from March 2009 have been fantastic. Right. And it's like, well, OK, but who the bloody hell puts 100 percent in, in, you know, when the market's fallen 50 percent? If I say, oh, well, let me cherry pick a date. Let's make it 2007. You then go, oh, you haven't made much at all. It's like, OK, so who's right? The, the issue is, in that sense, timing's really critical. And what Draymond is sort of saying is, look, if, and, and it's, this is where he sort of chimes in with Ben Graham. If you buy cheap stocks, they'll return to their value, right? Even, even if the markets are not that good. And generally, as we sort of keep saying to people, it's avoiding bear markets and losing money that will make you wealthy. It's not going all in on oil or, you know, any sort of one stock. It's basically methodically saying, I've got a process that works. I'll continue just to work that over time. But when there's a, a secular bear market or like we talk about, the cape's really high, that's where you've got to be a little bit more prudent, right? And so, again, it's always this stuff about these days, Pete, I think lots of people want to just sort of go, guys, you know, just give me one stock and that makes me a millionaire. You know, we're seeing that with NFTs, with Bitcoin and those sorts of things. And there are there will be people who get rich. 
but there'll be an absolute bucket load of people who lose, you know, the shirts off their back. And that's the sort of benefit of these strategies. They work in good and bad markets. They, they won't deliver the market return in terms of I, I made 16% for 10 years, then I lost 50%. So I actually only made, you know, 5%. What they do is reduce the volatility, which gives you a steadier return over time. I suppose there's a bit more of a life lesson here because one of the things you find and uh, this is happening right now in Australia um, in terms of median or mean household wealth Australia is right up there now yeah. one of the wealthiest countries in the world and instead of people being happier about this generally it creates more angst and people start saying well you know my net worth might have gone up over the past few years but this guy over here has got more yeah. than me and of course that whole um exercise is completely fraught with problems because you don't know you know somebody else have might have a completely diff, different risk tolerance to yeah. you another guy might have inherited wealth somebody else you know has a you know an unfortunate accident there's, there's really not very much value in comparing your situation to the guy next door or somebody across the street and yet we all seem to do it particularly when people are getting wealthier and i think the same might um, apply here i mean you could say Okay, well, the the index might have done better than a Draymond contrarian strategy mm. over quite a long period of time, but I guess if you're still making money and making a decent return, and you may well have underperformed by a few percent per annum using these sort of contrarian, you're still doing all right. But that's right, you haven't lost your shirt. Yeah, and yeah. I, I guess the reasons why uh, the under for the underperformance. Well, I suppose the the low. Uh, PE stocks and the low price to book that would probably have led you to financials quite often and energy I suppose in recent years which yep. yes it's done really well over the past 18 months but actually it's been not a great place to be over five six or seven years whereas um, the growth stocks in the Nasdaq have done very well um, so yeah I guess the um, I suppose you might also make the argument that it may not have been the best strategy over the past 20 years, but actually going forward, it might be a, one of the more appropriate strategies. Yeah, yeah. This is a really a really critical point. You have to distinguish between, and this is what's misleading, you have to distinguish between the market return, which actually nobody gets for a whole raft of reasons that we've spoken about before, and selecting individual stocks. And so the, the, the idea being... That if you buy, you know, if you buy the ASX, you're buying, let's say you buy the ASX 300 by a VAS, you know, Vanguard, Australian shares, ETF, you're buying 300 companies. If you do a Draymond strategy, you're buying probably, I think Draymond talks about 25 or 30 stocks, you know, so there's a considerable difference there because if one blows up in the market, in the VAS uh, ETF, it's going to have a tiny impact. If you buy a stock in a Draymond strategy and it's one of the ones that goes bankrupt or it doesn't go anywhere, that's going to impact your strategy and your performance a lot more. So you've got to make that distinction about the, you know, the differences in how you're going to measure these things. And lots of fund managers will always complain about, you know, the, the subtleties between measuring their fund against the index because you're not measuring apples for apples. And so it's actually an unfair assessment that the idea behind these strategies is simply saying to people, you know, our listeners out there, here are these strategies, 
you might say, gee, I really like that strategy. I'm going to try that one, right? And, and go from there. But as you say, generally the idea is, and this is why we teach the eight principles, they're not going to work every time, but they're going to work on the balance of probabilities. And that's the, that's the idea that Draymond is sort of trying to get across by saying, you look at low PE, you look at low price to book. Price to book hasn't worked for a while because most value now is created in intangibles, not, you know, book value, tangible things. So there's all these sorts of things that are change it. But again, also too, the difference is if you and I buy an index, we're not picking anything. When you buy a Draymond strategy or when you do a Draymond approach, you've still got to select, you know, like let's say there's two PE stocks in the same industry, one seven and the other seven and a half. You've still got to pick it. So you might go for the one that's seven and then it turns out the one that does seven and a half does better. So there's, you know, those sort of variables. And I think the important part, and we should sort of say this, is the idea we're talking to people about strategies is saying, what are the common approaches? You know, buy low, sell high. Right, okay, that seems to work. And there's a Ben Graham strategy for it. There's a Dave Draymond strategy for it. There's, you know, we're going to talk about uh, the 52-week the low strategy. So there's all of these things. And the idea is to look for the common factors because they're the things that will actually help you succeed rather than the strategy in its purest form because there's not really a pure form. Yeah, so one of the, the key investment principles here, which is, of course, one of our eight timeless principles, is mean reversion. What you're really saying mm. is if you buy the stuff that's cheap, over time it will mean revert and you'll do better than the average. Uh, I guess um, what about the question here, though, about survivorship? Um, I'm trying to think of a, a timely example. Let's say you chose to invest in AMP, not to pick. You know, mm. pick on companies that have had a, a tough run or anything like that. But thoughts and press. <laughs> yeah, but you could say, for example, yes, it you know it had a lower valuation than some of the other financials. But yep. as it turned out, the lower valuation was uh, there was a reason behind it. There was no informational advantage there. Yeah. You've you've basically seen the stock continue to fall lower over quite a long period of time. Um, how does the everyday investor get around that? Because we already said it's quite hard to be contrarian, yeah. but you know what? At what point do you realise? Well, maybe I picked a dud here, and um, you cut it loose. Doesn't mean it's necessarily a zero, but it, it could just be a long-term underperformer or a dud. Yeah, I think. Look, it's hard. There's there's no argument that, and as we were sort of saying before, it's just really hard to accept that you're going to pick a losing stock. Um, it, it's sort of a, look, I could be wrong. You know, most people might go, yeah, I understand that. But often you go to the races or to the casino, you might play 20 hands of poker. Well, you know, you're going to lose some, you know, you're going to win them, win them all. And it's the same in the stock market. You, you know, you don't want to be in the market if you think every, every um, investment you make is going to be a success. I think the idea is putting probability as high as possible that you could succeed. So, you know, it, it, it's that simple sort of numbers game. And I think what Draymond is saying is, look, if you buy, and that you were talking to this earlier, Pete, you know, yeah, you can buy, you know, Twitter and Planeteer and, you know, Tesla and all those NASDAQ stocks and you can make a lot of money. But in my experience, value beats growth over the long term. And so if you have a value strategy, I'm not saying growth can't make money, 
but you've got to be systematic about it. And so what Draymond and the strategies we're going to be talking about is basically saying this is the best way or this is the way, the, high, the highest probability of succeeding in the market. If you buy a PE stock at 35, okay, you might succeed, but you're probably going to succeed better if you buy a stock with a PE of 10. So, you know, and we've sort of talked about that oil you know, when COVID hit and things went crazy, the PEs were really, really cheap. And so did it work out every time? Well, probably not, but the odds are in your favour. And it's the same thing if you go to the races or if you go to, you know, you go to play at the casino. You don't expect to win every hand, but what you do is expect to win on average more than you lose. And the idea of survivorship for me, anyway, is what we talk to our clients about, which is looking at companies that are big, systemic, and, you know, have been in the market for a long time. Because the, the, the delusion is, oh, you've got to buy these growth stocks that don't earn anything, that don't pay any dividends, that have been in the market three years, because that's the way you'll get really rich. And what we're saying is, no, 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 if you use a Draymond strategy, and we'll talk about others like you know, dogs of the Dow and stuff, if you use those strategies, you'll actually do better over the long term because the chances of picking those constant, you know, Amazons and Apple is really, really low. It's it's so much easier to say, hey, the stock's really cheap. Do I know a lot about it? No, but it's really cheap and I'll probably, you know, I should buy a little bit of it. So we should probably talk about asset allocation and diversification aspects of the strategy as well because they're also a critical part of it uh yes i was just trying i was just going to move on to um so can a a retail or even a beginner investor use a strategy like this so i mean one of the things that has improved since uh draymond's day is that there are stock screeners now like yeah. um Validia or yep. Guru Focus or mm. others where mm. you can actually shortcut some of the research because it, it used to be very hard yeah. to, you know, grab an annual report and sit there crunching numbers with a calculator on your Casio or something. These days, that, that aspect is now is a lot more efficient because you can actually run a screen for stocks that might, you know, pass the filters. Yes. Um, but if you were to be a, apply um, this kind of a strategy, well, let's say you were looking at it today in Australia, I mean, what kind of stocks would have would pass the filter? I mean, um, Telstra is an example. Actually, when it went to two dollars seventy or wherever it yep. was, um, that would have been that would have passed most of the filters, I think. Well, it passed um, mine. <laughs> yes, that's right, because you had a you had a high dividend yield, which will um, continue um, to pay for years to come. Um, you, it was low on the price to uh, the PE ratio. Um, hasn't been a long term performer in terms of growth, but at the right price, it would have passed the filters. What, yes. what sort of things would get through the filters today in Australia? Um, yeah, good question. And again, I'll just refer back to what Draymond talks about is, again, what we do, which is go to people and say, look, if, if cheap stocks are normally in a cheap sector, okay? Or you get, the, the one example I often use is when you had the BP oil spill, the oil sector was doing fine. That was a specific B, BP problem. When you've got a cheap sector like you had oil in COVID, that's not a BP problem, right? That's an oil sector problem. And the reason why that's important is, again, if you said to me, Steve, all the oil sector's cheap, 
you've got a really good opportunity to buy an ETF or buy an individual company, right, which is what a lot of our people did and, and are happy with that result. That's different than saying the oil price is going gangbusters and BP's just released, you know, a million barrels into the North Sea and there's a really big problem. So leading on from that, in the Australian index, you want to look at those sectors which are cheap and work it through from there. So what are the low PE stocks? And the the only sort of subjective bit is saying, is the low PE reasonable? And, and what I mean by that is a lot of people will say, oh, I picked a low PE stock and it didn't make any money. And it's like, well, yeah, because the earnings, the E bit, wasn't looking really good. So you want to pick a PE, you know, a low PE based on, and this is where survivability comes in, old companies, Telstra, uh, you know, Woolworths, Coles, those sorts of things, they will continue to survive. Don't expect them to go up 100% in a mean reversion scenario, but you may expect that you might get a sort of Buffett type scenario where you can say, well, actually, I'm going to probably get about 9 or 10%. That's actually, a, you know, beating the market. Um, so from that point of view, you want to look at the the ASX and and get a sectoral breakdown. And you know, as you know, Pete, there's basically three. There's you know the banks, the miners, and then there's Telstra and you know um, West Farmers and a few others. So you want to take the opportunity to buy those when the the whole sector is down. And I think banks were cheap. I could be wrong. Eighteen months, two years ago, you know. But now. They're still fairly sort of, they're, they're, I think they're moderately priced. I must admit, I'm not sure. But you have to question if the earnings are going to go if we have a, a, a downturn in property or if, you know, we have a global recession and everybody stops borrowing money. So there's just those sorts of things you've got to think through a little bit rather than just blindly buy everything that's got a PE. Yes, and uh, potentially disruption from neo banks and yeah, DeFi yeah. and what whatnot. Yep. Um, you know, the whole point of looking at these investment strategies is not to say that one is the best and the others are, are no good or whatever. It's it's really to lead people um, towards the strategy that suits them best. Now, I'm looking at this in in the context of my own life, which is currently pretty busy. I've been back and forth to Europe. I've got two kids. I really want to get to Lake Como, which I've been talking about for two years now, <laughs> one day soon. But I don't really have the time or inclination to sit there going through annual reports yeah. and stock screeners. And as you mentioned, a really good case in point um, over the past couple of years, I could have spent a lot of time trying to analyse whether to buy ExxonMobil or Chevron or Hess or Occidental or Shell or BP. But actually you know, realistically, do I have the time or expertise to do that? Well, probably not, but we can just take a sectoral approach and say, look, I'll, I'll buy the XLE, not a recommendation in today's prices. I could just buy the ETF that owns Absolutely. The, the top 30 or the, the whole sector effectively. Yeah, yeah. And, and buy get it a, when it's cheap. And get a very similar result yeah. rather than trying to be a hero and pick the best company. And that is something that's really changed in Strayman's day. Um, for me as well, personally, there's a lot more sleep at night factor there because I do know that if I was to wake up in 50 years' time, uh, those uh, big companies, they'll still be around pumping out the profits and the dividends. Yep. An individual company, well, as you mentioned, oil spills happen or you know there could be changes to ESG or you know who really knows. Mm. Um, 
for an individual stock. Um, so look, that's that's what I would take away from Draymond. What about yourself, Steve? Uh, you still think it's a valid strategy? Yeah, yeah, um, I still think it's useful. As I said, I think what you need to look for in a strategy is, first of all, something that resonates with you on a personal level. Some people are just attracted towards growth investing, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And some people are value people. I'm more quantitative as I get older because, I, for me, it's like, oh, well, most of the stories are bullshit anyway, so, you know, I'll just go for the numbers. And we talked about this before, numbers over narratives. What, what we're trying to do in this series is say to people, here's some strategies that you might want to look at that ring a bell with you and, like you just mentioned there, people will say, oh, actually – yeah, I don't mind reading annual reports or, yeah, I like stock screeners and um, that sort of approach. So, again, what we're trying to do is just give people ideas about how you want to develop your own personal investment strategy. But what we're saying is, and this is where, our, you know, the the, the eight principles we, we coach people in, they're the fundamental ones that we believe you will do well if you implement those, whether it's via Draymond or Ben Graham or Warren Buffett, all the good sort of the principles we talk about, mean reversion, systematic, you know, asset allocation, diversification, all of those are fundamental to every successful strategy, you know, whether it's Warren Buffett or a, a Jim Simon strategy. So Draymond, I think, has a lot to offer. Um, and I, I think I said before, you know, when I reread it, I sort of thought, Geez, you know, like I'm a lot more of a Draymond investor than I remembered I, I was when I read the book, you know. So um, it's rekindled my interest in it. And I, I, as I said, I think it's a really good strategy. The issue you just want to remember is you're not going to outperform all the time, okay? And you just want to be able to say, I know this strategy works over time and I'm going to stick with it. The problem is a lot of people go, oh, it's no longer working, therefore I'm going to dump it. And it's like, no, 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 you can't do that because then what you're doing is you're just jumping from strategy to strategy and that's going to mess you up a bit because you're going to end up being confused. So except that there'll be these strategies, say buy 25 stocks, five of them won't do any good. Okay, just accept that as part of the strategy and just move on and continue implementing it. Yeah, that makes a, a lot of sense. It, I think, um, yes, it's uh, particularly in a bull market, people do tend to jump around chasing the next uh, bright, yeah. shiny thing. But um, the key here really is being wealthier than you were a year ago each year and just keep uh, persisting with proven strategies that work. Whether you decide to look at a cheap sector and buy the biggest company yep. or whether you go for the ETF, which is more my uh, line of thinking, I guess that's a personal thing that you will develop in your own strategy over time. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the Draymond books. There's a couple there for you to look at. Also, maybe a couple of resources there in terms of stock screeners. And um, next week, we're going to look at a different approach, the permanent portfolio. So we look forward to that. Thanks today uh, for joining, Steve, and we'll see you next time. Okay, see you next week, mate. Cheers. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to know more, you can download a free chapter and extra bonuses from our new book, Low Rates, High Returns. Just visit www.lowrateshighreturns.com forward slash book to download your free copy. The things we've discussed in this episode shouldn't be taken as financial advice 
and we recommend you reach out to a licensed professional advisor who can help you with your unique circumstances. Stephen and I are both on LinkedIn and Twitter, so do reach out and connect with us. And finally, it'd be great if you could subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps others to find the show. Now take care and invest wisely. Cheers. Cheers.